Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 119 of the Between You and Me podcast. This is the place where we talk to music makers about the things that hurt, heal, and change us in the church. There's a lot, a whole lot there. (laughs) Just grab bag, just choose whatever you want. My name is Jessica Morris, and this episode is, of course, sponsored by our friends at JesusWide.com, your number one source of Christian music news, reviews, and interviews. In any case, today is part two of our conversation with Zach Bolan of The Band Citizens. Last week, we had a fantastic discussion about what it means to look at your beliefs, deconstruct, reconstruct, ask hard questions, be wrong, all those fun things that you tend to bring up in therapy, which leads us to today's conversation because we talk about therapy and things we've learned in therapy, as well as Zach and his wife's response or uh, experience listening to the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, um, and just what it means for him and the band to actually choose to belong to the church or even to belong to Christian music and the Christian music industry going forward. This is a great conversation. I've already raved about how much I love it. If you haven't listened to part one yet, what are you doing? Go back and listen to part one. You're missing out on so much good stuff. Okay, stop, pause. Assuming now that you're back here and that you've listened, welcome back. You're about to hear part two of my interview with Zach Bolin. Here we go. That makes great. that makes me excited. <laughs> I'm like, that's that's the type of music. I mean, it's the type of music that I'm drawn to, but the music that in my opinion, whatever that counts for, what we need. Um, And I love that, that like when you share that example of a person writing to you and then a week later apologising, that's such a beautiful representation of how I would say like God uses the music that you create to keep tell like working in people. Like and you reveal something different to everyone as they listen to it. I love that that person yep. got to a point where they could apologize to you. That's epic. Right. <laughs> right. It's incredible. Yeah. Because I've um, not always had people apologize. So that was. Well, it's, that was it's cool. so rare, isn't it? Because it's, so, it's such a yeah. humbling thing. Because, I mean, it's hard for us as individuals to apologize mm-hmm. or, to, or to even like, even to acknowledge or respect in some way someone that we disagree with takes yeah. a sense of humility. So. Right. Um, and it's not always easy. It's not. And sometimes it takes a really long time to get to that yeah. place. And I mean, and that's the, I mean, that's where we can have patience with other people because we've, we, we can, if we're honest with ourselves, like there's probably even people still to this day, if we were sitting with them in a room right now, would just be like, oh man, this is a really hard person for me to be around. And I, I just, I I don't know why that is. I don't know why we're why it's so hard for us sometimes to find common ground with people, but it just is. And I think we just gotta stay patient with with other people as we go, as we're all trying to figure that out. That basically answers my next question, which I never asked, um, which was about how personal relationships informs this project. Um, yeah. And. I'll just throw this question out there because I'm curious. We'll see how you go. Um, in terms of agreeing to disagree, whatever yep. that means, whatever that looks yep. like, how have you personally, especially in like the last, I'd say like five or six years, where there's been lots of, I feel like the evangelical church has sort of, I don't know if it's been turned on its head, but it's been shaken so that you can't really 
anything that you believe or feel is sort of up to surface now. There's no guessing with people as much. Um, It means that relationships in churches, in families, in communities have in some ways have become fractured. We've had to figure out how to keep responding to each other when we disagree. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so true. How have you personally navigated like how how to find common ground with people and is I want to be careful if can if I can ask this we'll see what you think and throw it out if we need to is there ever a time when you need to set a boundary and cut ties for the for your health for the health of your family no you know okay I had a friend recently say this and I thought that's really brilliant and he was just talking about how you know I think unity is really important but that doesn't mean we have to go together. Like that doesn't mean we have to go in the same direction. And I was, I was like, Oh, that's really good. So yeah, I do think cutting ties sometimes is, is okay. And I mean, we have, even my family, like we've had our fair share of struggles with other people that we're close with. And a lot of times just being misunderstood. Yeah. Um, a lot of assumptions that are made without asking questions. And that can be really hard, especially to feel misunderstood or to feel like uh, even worse to feel that you're not actually being known. Um, And then when you don't feel known, you kind of have this sense that, well, where do I belong? And um, that, so that's a hard one because I mean, for instance, even my wife and I, a year ago, we were in therapy to talk about some, some just sort of like relationship stuff we're trying to work through with some other people that we were close with. And, um, one of the things that, that our therapist said that was really hard for me to want to believe, but he was right, was that, uh, some systems, they don't want to change. And so in this case, this system was a system of death for us. We would enter into it. We would try and be people that of peace. We would avoid certain conversations just to respect these mm-hmm. different people or just to honor their choices and not necessarily try and impose ours on theirs or anything like that, but just where can we keep finding the common ground? Yeah. And uh, you know what's interesting is that that still didn't work still didn't work. And, um, and so when he told us that, Hey, some systems don't want to change. The more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, he's absolutely correct. Because no matter what we try and do, the only thing that will ever be acceptable within that system is for us to, to operate like they do. And since we don't act or think or operate like they do, we will always be uh, a threat to that system. Wow. Yeah. And so I just think that I, I think for, for, especially for my wife, Natalie and I, the big thing that we just keep saying to ourselves is not even, not only with this record, I would say this record I, I used earlier, the, 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 just the visual of a bridge. I would say that's our whole family mentality mm-hmm. lately, especially is how can we be a bridge? Like how can we be a bridge and broken relationships how can we be that in other people's lives through art and through music and understanding that it's 
pretty rare that you're going to be able to open the door to a hard conversation. But if you're present and you're choosing to be a person of peace, and this has certainly been the case for my wife and I, eventually if they open the door to that conversation, it's a much more productive conversation because they're not on the defense. They just asked you to come in. They said, hey, I want to talk about this thing. Okay, you're inviting me in. Let's go. Let's let's talk about that. Whereas if you come on the door and you sort of one of the guys in the band, he was saying his therapist, we're all in therapy. I guess we, you know, you're in good company. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, his therapist was telling him this great visual too. Is like some people have these no trespassing signs up, and you can either choose to ignore the no trespassing sign, or you can sort of obey it. And so when someone decides to take their no trespass sign down and invites you in, mm-hmm. that's, that's much more productive than just sort of forcing your way in. Because yeah. people typically don't do well with that. None of us really do. We get on the defense. Wait, what do you mean? What do you mean I did that thing wrong or said this thing? It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, like our instant reaction. I just am so, I just admire those people that can just sit there and just be cool and calm. I'm like, how do you do no, that? I- so. I'm not one of those people. So neither am I. Um, yeah. So that's kind of been that's been how how it's worked out for mm-hmm. us. Not not perfectly, but certainly um, understanding that uh, understanding that it, it it isn't always going to work out, and sometimes it just mean might mean a lost friendship. Uh, hopefully not forever, but for. Now, this question isn't intentionally following what I just asked, but I did Great. did want to touch on very quickly um, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, yep. um, purely because I know that when Citizens started, you were affiliated with that church and that movement. Yep. Um, so while it's been a while, um, my thought was that that must have had an impact of, on you when that story was aired publicly. Um, and Christianity Today did the whole podcast series and talked to people whether you choose to listen to it or not. Um, I wanted to ask you, as much as you're comfortable, Mm -hmm. if that podcast, if that airing of somewhat of your story coming up in public, how that affected you and your family? You know, it affected us in different ways. Um, I would say... Uh, at different points, my wife and I would have different opinions on it. Um, and what I mean by that is, uh, for her without speaking for her, but just generally speaking, um, I think listening back and see like 
knowing that there were women when we were there that at times felt that they weren't treated equally. Um, hearing that, and especially after Mars Hill, recognizing that a lot more for me personally. Um, I think for for her and both of us listening back to some of the episodes that were talking a bit about just sort of Marcel's treatment of, of women, that was a hard one for us to to listen to in particular, just because there was a lot that we didn't know. Like a lot of the episodes brought up things that were before our time. And we knew we knew when we came to Mars Hill that hey, here's this brash preacher and this guy who kind of says what he wants. And to be honest, what's interesting is a year before we even considered coming to Mars Hill, someone handed me this book that Mark had written and then showed me this interview thing that he was doing. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, who is this guy? Like he's so obnoxious. Like he's so mean and just so arrogant. And I was completely turned off by him. And, um, I even remember reading this book cause it was co-authored by someone else. And at the time I remember thinking like, did he really write this? Like, it just feels like so weird. And then, uh, I don't know, six months later, I get a call from a friend that says, Hey, we're looking for a worship director out here. Would you consider it? And I'm like, well, we do want to live in Seattle cause we want to be with our friends. So maybe, yeah, let's see what happens. So, you know, anyway, come out to Mars Hill and my, I would say over time, my perspective changed of Mark. I, I started to see him as someone that was, uh, I, I appreciated his teaching more. I, uh, I thought his perspectives, the perspectives that he brought were helpful at times. And that probably lasted for about s- six months. <laughs> and then it, then it kind of began to turn into, oh man, maybe, maybe the culture here is like really kind of not great. And then it turned into maybe the culture here is really bad. And then it was, this culture is bad. Something's really off here. And then I'll never forget one time standing outside, waiting to go into a show in Seattle. I was with a friend and my wife and somehow this, we were talking about church or something in this line, we're waiting to get in. And this guy overheard us and he started talking about Mark. Mark is this terrible person, all this kind of stuff. And I remember defending Mark. And I was like, well, no, don't say that. Like, you don't know those things. I was defending him. And then, I don't know, two months later, I remember being in the situation where I kind of started to see things more for what they were. And I was like, I will never defend this man again. Um, Not in that way. Because at the end of the day, the reason is, is I don't actually know him. And so, uh, and what I do know of him is not so nice. So I, when the podcast came out, I feel like in many ways I felt grateful for it because I think that there are, there are too many people, uh, living either with this idea that, uh, their leader would never fall or will never do anything that would be, you know, hurtful to others. And I think the other part of it that was helpful is that it highlights the fact that there is culpability. Like we as congregants and participate 
participants in that culture, even if we're not the leaders, we do play a part in perpetuating the culture. Not, not to the same degree that the leadership has, has, but in the sense that we enable them to a certain degree by not, by, by either A, sticking around and still giving money to it. I think that's probably the loudest voice is the money part, sadly. And, and that in and of itself then becomes this sort of vicious cycle that is true in a lot of churches where we listen a lot to that one leader and that one leader says this thing. And so they said this thing. And so that, that's, that must not only, not only is that true, but that's what we must do. And so I just felt really grateful for the podcast because I thought that it, at the very least, I know some people called it gossip. I, I don't think that that's what that was. I think it was history. It's important history. And maybe it's just told soon enough to where people feel like it's gossip. I don't know. If, if it was 10 years from now, would they call it gossip? Probably not. Uh, but nevertheless, it's the kind of thing where I just, I, I do believe that people are, you talked about disillusionment earlier. And I think people are starting to, especially coming out of COVID, I don't know what's like this in Australia, but kind of, even if they're not saying it out loud, they're sitting there wondering, they're asking these questions like, wait, why do, why do we do this this way? And they're starting to ask questions about leadership and all this stuff. And I think that's great. Like I heard someone sent me an article at one point during the podcast, like, hey, what do you think about this article? And it was basically saying how the podcast is bad because it's making people question leaders. I'm like, you know what? Here's the thing. When you have so many people in leadership abusing their power, it's okay for the next couple of years if we just, if you just have to be questioned and you have to be put through a process of actually showing that what you're saying is something you're actually living. Now, that doesn't mean that you're on trial. It just means that you are in a position that is deserving of having a certain amount of scrutiny. And it's actually the most loving thing that there's an expectation put on you that you should be a person that, hey, if you say being with people is important, who who do you spend your time with? Do you spend time with other people at all? Are there other people in your life that know you? Like these are all an important thing. And I think probably the biggest crux in all that is just self-awareness. And I think that personally what I would tell anybody that either listens to that podcast as like a cautionary tale is um, – Anybody who, any pastor or leader that isn't self-aware, uh, I think you should leave that church or at the very least, if, if you're not able to, to bring change because it will inevitably end bad because it's, 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 there's a narcissism there that isn't going to be changed by just continuing to give them a pulpit. Yeah. You read my heart like an open book You write my story and call it good I can't imagine a greater truth Who is like you? You know what I'm thinking before I ask You're in my future, you're in my past It's hard to imagine the way you move Who is like you? You give my eyes the my 
you have, and I, I refer to your time at Mars Hill, but also your life in general, because anyone who's been part of evangelical culture for some time has experienced ups and downs of it. Um, you've experienced and seen a lot of the shadows and the light in the church, what the public has seen and behind the scenes stuff because you've been in ministry and leadership um, as a general statement. Mm -hmm. Why do you and your family still choose to believe in God and still belong to the church as like a global entity? Mm -hmm. That is a good question. Um. I would say the belief in God is, I, I would say for both my wife and I, while we've had moments of questioning, hey, is God real? I would say by and large, it's oftentimes more, at least for me, it's more like I lost my dad at six. And I can remember laying in my bed, praying to God. And that's kind of, and, and praying that God would bring my dad back and all these things. And that's sort of been a place that I've operated my whole life is almost less, I don't know if God is real, but it's probably more or less, if there's ever a massive struggle, it's, I just, I just don't know that I always have a lot of faith in people. And so that for me has at times been, all right, what do I actually think about scripture or what do I actually think about the church or what do I actually think about, you know, these philosophies and stuff like that. And, and where it kind of keeps taking me to is, um, it's just this belief that I think that as the years go on, my belief in God is only getting bigger. And it, in some ways it's probably getting bigger and more vague um, because I'm starting to see how much I don't know. And I'm okay with that. It's just that sometimes it's hard to accept that, especially in the face of tragedy and things that are really hard. And so that for me kind of ties into the same thing with the church too, is that I do believe that there is a, a beautiful design to the church and that is found in the priesthood of all believers. I think that that has been lost in many ways. I think that we have exchanged the priesthood of all believers for the priesthood of, of one or a few. And those people uh, are the ones that went to Bible college or they, they are just are really articulate and they can communicate really well. And so I, the reason I'm still a believer in the global church is because I believe that the Spirit of God is capable of giving any person, whether they're six years old or they're 106 years old, the ability to convey uh, whatever the Spirit of God wants them to say <laughs> and to do whatever the Spirit is moving in them to do. And that that has been true for me. I can like testify to that in my own life because I've seen it. And I think that that is the church. I know you've been talking to me for a long time. I've just got one more question to wrap it up for you. If you could go back in time to the day before you signed your first record deal or like you had that official, official start, 
what would you say to yourself knowing what you know now? Oh, that is a good question. Um, Just to make it easy. (laughs) You're asking great questions. Um, mm, I would say surround, find some people that aren't, that, that do not stand to benefit from this record deal. Find some people that could give you perspective before you sign it. Um, and then at the end of the day, understanding that whatever you sign, you signed it. So you just got to live with it. So if, if like years down the road, you're like, this doesn't work in my favor, then yeah. And I mean, and I would say this, there have been a couple times, one in particular where there was something I signed and I would say that I, I would say I was taken advantage of um, and not just me, but a few other people that were involved in this. And that has continued to be a pain point for me. It's taught me a valuable lesson, but it's more or less just remembering that. And I love these people and I still don't think they see it the way that I see it and, and the rest of this group of people see it. But nevertheless, um, I, I made that decision. And so I have to live with that. And right or wrong, it's just kind of what it is. So surround yourself with people that understand the business, that um, understand what you want. Because the other thing too is you have to really know what you want to do. Like, do you just want to record records? Well, if you just want, and you just want to make music off of recording records, probably don't sign a record deal because you're not going to make much money that way. But if the thing is, well, they can give us money to be able to make a record that will allow us to go on tour and we'll open up these other possibilities. Well then, yeah, a label can be really helpful. And that's why we're with a label because they've been tremendously helpful in supporting us and believing in us and all of our crazy ideas that come along supporting those. Um, that's that's a to have a team is pretty invaluable. So who is the way the truth the life? Who is the holy word of life? Who is the vision to our eyes? Who is the love that will abide? Only Jesus! in a mic drop moment or like a thing going on can't play instruments can't provide you with that but just carry that gusto with you okay that was what that interview felt like to me it was challenging this is the type of christian music i want to listen to and i'm not talking about style necessarily even though i really enjoy the style of music citizens make but it's because it's authentic with real vulnerability because it's asking tough questions, because it's not shaming anyone, because it's it's not self-satisfying. It's causing us to push beyond ourselves and say, God, do your thing. 
and I will respond accordingly, whatever that looks like. It's less about me and more about God and in turn what that means to love my neighbor. For me, that's that's what the whole gospel, that's why Jesus came. And uh, to see Christian music reflecting that, and it has before, but to see it more and more reflecting that, to see artists risking record deals or friendships or, you know, so much to to tell their stories. It's a lot. It's a lot. And, it, and it's reflective of the of what we all have to go through, except there's their journeys attached to music, which is naturally meant to be a reflection of your heart. So there's a really public part to it. All I have to say, I have nothing but respect for, for artists who choose to be authentic and vulnerable um, and who, who are seeking God in what they do. And that is why you should go and listen to Citizen's new EP. <laughs> it's out now, five tracks. It's beautiful. Go get it, enjoy it, and make sure that you're followed Citizens online because they are in the process of releasing new music. So an album is going to be coming out later this year that you definitely want to get or stream. Make sure that you follow Citizens online. They are on Instagram at citizens underscore music. You can also find them on the web at wearecitizens.net. That's R like A-R-E, not just the text Oh, thingy. Yeah, you get it. Please connect with them. Let them know how much you enjoyed hearing this. And while you're at it, make sure that you connect with Zach Bolen. He is on Instagram at Zach Bolen, Z-A-C-H-B-O-L-E-N. Pretty simple. Let him know what you thought of today and what it meant to you. He would really appreciate that. So while we're on a roll with episodes, how about another one? Next week, I have an interview with the Wood Drake Sessions. If you've never heard of the Wood Drake Sessions before, let me enlighten you. Uh, it is the music of Kirk Sawyers and Paul Ranheim, who are very well known in Nashville circles. Uh, they are singer-songwriters. They are actually both pastors in individual churches now. They both relocated from Nashville. Uh, but during the pandemic, they started writing together over Zoom and started grappling with the realities of the world and the pain they were feeling. And it turned into a series of songs um, that are beautiful. Now, Kirk and Paul join me next week um, to talk about their album, From the Valley to the Golden Shore. They have some incredible stories about uh, what racial reconciliation has looked like in their music. And we actually discuss the nature of worship music uh, and why they choose in their worship music to, to address things in the Bible like refugees and equity which makes me excited. You know, I love, I love addressing things like that. So this is a great episode. If you haven't subscribed yet, make sure you subscribe um, and we will have a great time. All right. That's all for this week. My friends, I'll see you next week. I, I get to say that. I'm so excited. Uh, my name is Jess. Here's to hope. Like